0: And welcome to another episode of That's Absurd. Please elaborate. My name as one of the two hosts in this job is Julian Hugot. I guess that's my name all the time. (laughs) Uh, The other
1: of the two hosts of this job, my name is Pins McGee.
0: (laughs) But uh, but outside of that, we call you Trace Dominguez. That's right. That used to be the name that we would use at bowling all the time. Pins McGee. Pins McGee. We went bowling a
1: lot. There wasn't much to do in my oh. little town.
0: Uh, that's why you're so good at it. We went bowling just the other day for my birthday. That's right. We did. Yeah. yeah. Trace is an a absolute killer I'm fine. Uh, on on the lanes, let me tell a you. Killer anyway, on we the should lanes. tell people what this podcast is in case they're new here. This is a a, a science and hopefully comedy show. Where we discuss uh, the most silly, ridiculous, absurd questions that are asked by you, our listeners, or by each other, or sometimes by very special guests. That sounds like I'm teeing up a guest. There isn't one this episode. Not this week, no. Not this time. Sorry about that. But we look into questions asked by you. We do our best with our science research abilities and knowledge, the contacts that we have of you know specialists, and we try and bring those answers to light on the show. And this week, Trace, I believe you're kicking us off, and it's very thematic, given the release date of this episode.
1: Yeah, this episode's going to come out on the day after Valentine's Day. Oh. Valentine's. Happy Valentine's Day to you.
0: Yeah, a happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Did you or will you do anything good? I mean... We usually
1: celebrate Valentine's Day with just, like, reminding each other that we love each other and, like, maybe mm-hmm. go to dinner. But we also don't necessarily like to go out on actual Valentine's Day because, you know, it's sort of a made-up holiday, so it's fine. You can go out the next day. It's, you know, no big deal.
0: That that That's fair. I mean, so many holidays are... are- kind Of arbitrary, but that's a whole other yeah. show. Somebody asked a I'm question sure a about one.
1: that, and we'll try and dig into the science or slash, you know, it's not always science. Sometimes it's literally just like history or like,
0: like yeah, literally just not?
1: digging into what we know about it. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, my question this week comes from a friend, an old friend of mine. Hi, Trace and Julian. My name is Lee, and I'm from Ada, Michigan. However, I grew up on Mackinac Island, Michigan, which is about four hours north from here, and I thought I'd ask this silly question why do people like chocolate so much during the special holidays the reason why i was asking is that our family makes fudge and candy during the summer season on mackinac island it's always busy during that season and yet we close during the winter season yet people love to give up chocolate during the holidays especially christmas time and especially valentine's day so i'm curious if it's because of the marketing of chocolate during the seasons or if just chocolate's just deliciously popular Um, Thanks, guys, and I love your podcast, and keep it up. That is the only fudge I eat when I go to Mackinac Island, and Mackinac Island is known for having a lot of fudge. Uh, They did not pay me to say that. They have, like, a lot of fudge shops. It's like a thing.
0: Why fudge in Mackinac? Is it like the water around the island is good for fudge making? or so? I don't even know the fudge making process. I
1: used to know why, but, you know, the first fudge shop was opened in the late 1880s and it became a hit and then other people opened fudge shops and it's just been a thing ever since. So this is,
0: I think, a great thing, though, specifically for Mackinac Island, because a fun, weird piece of trivia that I happen to know is no cars allowed on the island. Correct. Right? That's true. Yeah. They outlawed yeah. cars
1: uh, in, I think, the 1870s, the 1878 automobile ban, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, might be the 1890s. Either way, I used to work at a museum there, so I knew all these dates and names, but I'm, history is tough for me unless there's a real story behind it. So I can tell you the story about why it's there are no cars. <laughs> But having the exact date is tough for my brain to remember.
0: Right. But if you're going to be in a place where you have to walk or cycle everywhere, also a good place to have a lot of fudge shops. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah cuz you yeah. walk around and they blow the fudge smell out into the street so you mm-hmm. smell all of the mm. like deliciousness. They also have a lot of bars there. There's something like 20 some bars on the island and it's very small. It's only 8 miles all the way around and all of the like housing or at least the the tourist attraction part of the housing and hotels are all within like a couple of miles just on one end of the island. So you could like ostensibly start at one end of the of the strip and go through 20 some bars and end up at the other end. I'm not saying whether I've done it or not multiple times, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can neither confirm or deny that I'm confirming that I have done this. But anyway,
1: let's get to Lee's question. I think this is a great question. I think it's really fun to think about why we do the things we do. Right. Before I dig in, I do want to ask you, Julian. Oh, yeah. Where do you think? this originated like why do people eat chocolate during holidays
0: oh okay um oh oh geez when you put me on the spot (laughs) yeah really on the spot I get the trembles. You had me do a haiku recently. I that know. I tough. like to keep you on your toes. <laughs> Thank goodness there's no rhyming portion of this. Oh, no. I don't I want to give you ideas Maybe for next time. Episodes. Maybe next time. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm just going to assume uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to put my like kind of sociology hat on. I'm going to remember our discussion on lawns a long time ago Ooh. and and heating big open spaces. And that's basically that chocolate being something that you have to grow in tropical regions. And it's difficult to grow yeah. and yeah, very labor intensive. And then you've also got to get sugar for it, which is expensive. True. Uh, chocolate's just an expensive thing. So you save it as like a special treat.
1: I love, I love that. Let's see if you got it right. So okay, uh, I thought it would really just be a modern capitalism holiday, you know, thing. Um, yeah. you, know, you just like bye bye bye. Because then your loved ones feel love. We're so cynical around Valentine's Day. We really but are. Okay, but yeah, but Valentine's Day itself, you know, ha- has a long and storied history. I'm not going to get into it. You can go listen to right. another podcast for that. Um, and you know, I don't think it's that cynical. Money is love, don't you know that, Julian? Money is love. That's the oh, physical yeah. manifestation That's... of my love. It's just money. <laughs>
0: <That's>, yep. <laughs> Thank you. That's why this podcast is un- I've been unpaid for this whole yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, really, though, we have been unpaid, so.
0: Yeah, no, we we don't make any money from this. Um, And it shows.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do want to give you a hint, yes, that you are mostly correct that Mm, it takes a lot to grow chocolate. And that chocolate is then something that is valued by a lot of different people because of that. And Mm -hmm. that connects back to holidays and celebrations, right? If something is, is wanted and difficult, then it becomes related to that. But I want to back up a bit and talk about the Colombian Exchange. Okay. Do you know what the Colombian Exchange is? It's one of my favorite things.
0: It's a store uh, in the mall.
1: <laughs> no, that's the no, that's, that's the other one. That's okay. That's Express. You're thinking of Express. Uh, they-
0: Yes, the the Columbian Exchange was this sudden, massive swapping of goods between the old "quote unquote" old world and new world oh. after Columbus "quote unquote" discovered <laughs> really big the, quotes, the, the massivest air quotes around that <laughs> discovered discovered a place where people already lived. <laughs> yes,
1: that you nailed it. I love that you know things. So thank you. Uh, before the Europeans showed up on the continent. There was all sorts of plants, animals, people, cultures, civilizations dating back millennia. And the Columbian Exchange was when that culture was sort of mixed with the culture of Europe, Africa, Asia, and so on. So the Columbian Exchange is taking all of the stuff from, as you said, the New World, or I just like to call it the Americas, and combining Mm -hmm. it with the rest of the world right so we're talking about a lot of stuff and in fact a lot of the things that we associate with some of european history are actually colombian exchange things that europeans right. adopted and and right. we just associate it so uh before europeans showed up the americas had native americans living here and they cultivated everything from uh, i have a huge list here um amaranth i don't know what that is maize quinoa beans peanuts coyote pumpkins, squash, hot peppers, tomato, cassava, potato, sweet potato, blueberries, cactus, pear, cashew, papaya, pineapple, strawberry, cacao, mate, cotton, rubber, tobacco, sunflowers, and other decorative plants. That's just a short list from just one paper of the research into what the native cultures of these continents were cultivating.
0: Wow. What was even in Europe? Just smallpox, Right? Yeah, I know. Just smallpox and bubonic plague. They had, I guess, horses
1: and cow and like like, barley, I guess. They had barley. They had other grains
0: like that's good, but that's really from the Middle East. So not necessary. I don't know. Uh, And and because of our livestock, too, is why we had like the resistance to smallpox and stuff. Right. Exactly. Like
1: they got a lot of disease from that. And so they were resistant to it.
0: Thanks for all the good stuff, uh, Native Americans. Uh, here is smallpox and alcohol. And a bunch of other diseases. Yay! A bunch of things to make alcohol. <laughs> I have more diseases, of course. And venereal diseases. Yay! Oh, yeah, it's, yay! So... Doesn't seem like a fair trade. Not really,
1: no. Uh, <laughs> none of these crops that I just mentioned existed, as you correctly point out, in Europe or anywhere else before Columbus Mm -hmm. arrived. Literally all of those things are from the Americas. There were no potatoes in Ireland. There were no tomatoes in Italy. There were no corn, no peanuts, no pumpkins, no strawberries, no cotton, no spicy peppers in India or Southeast Asia, no chocolate, no vanilla. That's all American, like America's, the North and South and Central America's crops. Isn't that incredible to think about? That is. This is why I love the Columbian Exchange so much, because we associate a lot of those things like, oh, well, that's just naturally X place, Um, Mm -hmm. but it it wasn't there. And of course, as you also correctly point out, things went both ways, not just diseases, though there were a lot of that. A lot of diseases. (laughs) um, Cilantro is associated with Mexican and Central American cuisine, but it's native to the Mediterranean. Garlic. Okay. uh, Garlic is native to Central Asia. Citrus fruits are from Asia and Australia and all over there. Bananas and plantains, which I, living in California, associate with Central American cooking, um, are actually from Southeast Asia as well. So there's a lot of things that kind of went both ways and benefited both culture groups um, where mm-hmm. we were like, oh, my gosh, this is such a great staple that we can use like potatoes, you know, such an easy to grow great staple. We can use this all over. Maize is another example. Corn's grown all over now, uh, but it is native to. The americas so right. uh, of course and i'm glad you mentioned the exchange of disease that wiped out entire populations we cannot mention all of the things gained by europe and the rest of the world without mentioning that they perpetrated biological warfare and sometimes purposefully upon the people that they found here and that included and this is you know a little bit of a content warning but brutality slavery disease spreading and other crimes against humanity <laughs> Not great.
0: Oh, anyway, ha- happy, val- happy, happy Valentine's, Valentine's Day, Day episode. <laughs>
1: Here's your downer portion of the podcast. Um, but this great exchange was, you know, not, not just food and spices, but plants and animals and people. Uh, and it's hard to describe how new that must have felt. Like, can you imagine we live in, say, Western Europe? And we're just Mm -hmm. or even in the eastern, you know, Caribbean. And all of a sudden we realize there is a whole other literal world over there.
0: Yeah. A new fantastic point of view. Yeah. No one to tell us no.
1: Or where to go. Or where to go. Or they can't even say that you're only dreaming. They just can't (laughs) because
0: it's a whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. Okay. Right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's one of my favorite karaoke songs because when you sing it karaoke in front of adults, they're like, "There's a lot of (laughs) like euphemisms in this song." Ooh. Wow. Jasmine and Aladdin were getting it.
0: Uh, Anyway, Valentine's Day. Okay.
1: (laughs) I I mentioned that newness because it's hard to put ourselves in that. But imagine you know Italian cooking without tomatoes. Now I can't. Like yeah, we can't. But also imagine the fear. That that would bring. Because tomatoes are in the nightshade family. If you just start eating parts of the tomato plant you're trying to explore, oh, what should we eat from all of this new stuff? You get gastrointestinal distress from eating parts of the tomato plant. You'd have to eat Mm. a lot to die. It's a nightshade, but it's like not going to kill you. You'd have to eat like Mm. pounds or kilos of it. But if you eat the wrong parts, we have to explore this whole new, literal, whole new world of stuff. And so that's where chocolate kind of comes in. Uh, Oh boy. The chocolate comes from the cacao plant it has pods really big pods inside the pods are these beans the beans are taken out they're fermented they're dried they're roasted they're ground up into kind of a powder or into chunks and then made in two things and different cultures used it in different ways do you like chocolate are you a, cho- uh, are you a chocolate fan yeah okay yeah i also love chocolate yeah it's- Uh, It's amazing.
0: Who says no to that? There are people.
1: I have friends who hate chocolate. Uh, I know someone who's allergic to chocolate. I feel really bad for her, but she is. That's fair. A friend of mine. Um, But cacao is awesome. It's an Mm -hmm. incredible food. It's a superfood, basically. It has antioxidants, anti-inflammatory properties. It has caffeine. It has calories. It has polyphenols. Uh, And this is all important because it influences how these cultures used Chocolate. And ancient mm-hmm. Americans used it a lot. And a lot of what follows comes from this really detailed "How Stuff Works" piece uh, that I found on this. Um, full disclosure: I used to work with "How Stuff Works" very closely because they were part of Discovery. So I, I do go to their research a lot, but I want to call it out. So uh, it was a really neat piece. So anyway, the Olmecs uh, were a civilization in Central America, and they likely cultivated chocolate first. Though there's not a lot that survives from the Olmecs. We do know that the Mayan or Maya people they loved chocolate like cacao Just really
0: n- nuts for cacao nuts for it oh, cuckoo for yeah. cocoa puffs one might say
1: i think i would say yeah they were okay. cuckoo for cocoa pods for sure um so they mixed cocoa and water, kind of like coffee. Uh, you know, Ooh. you ferment it, you dry it, you grind it up, and then you mix it with water. You get this, like, coffee-type beverage. It's um, – actually, they would grind it into a paste as well, and they would mix the paste with chilies and water and cornmeal, and they would pour it from, a like, high up into a cup Very, like, classic bartender style to make it all foamy. And then they would pour that into a clay bowl and they would serve it to you. And it was like, I don't know how to pronounce it in Maya, but it was like chocolate, basically. Uh,
0: Well, the... The good and bad news is I don't think anybody's yeah. native speakers are around to correct you. Maybe.
1: Maybe there's a, maybe there's a researcher. Who knows? <laughs> Let us know. So they would give this to warriors as like a sustaining drink uh, because mm. it had all of those things as like caffeine and calories. So you're like giving it to the warriors to like keep them awake, but also like sustain them in, in, when they need it. It was also used in wedding rituals. There was like an apocryphal story I found on one blog as a reminder of a bittersweet future because... This drink wasn't like a sweet chocolate like we think of. It was much more bitter. I'm sure that's apocryphal. But anyway, uh, it was used in harvest rituals, ceremonies to finalize important transactions. The elites may have used it as a digestive after big meals. And then some sources says the Maya eventually were drinking it regularly. Like after every meal, even average families would have some cacao drink um and so the the god there was a god of cacao in the mayan religion as well nice uh, which is cool the maya had this idea that anyone in society should have chocolate it wasn't like a secret it wasn't really just for the elites and there was this logistical operation from the yucatan into modern mexico guatemala and honduras moving chocolate everywhere from where it can be grown in the tropics to all these other places which is super neat They would make it and ship it all over uh, so everybody would be able to drink it. And again, it was bitter and unsweetened. Sometimes they put honey or vanilla or chilies or floral, things like magnolia in it. And it could even be used as currency. The beans would be bartered because they were so valuable. Once they're dried, you could just barter with them like a coffee bean. Mm. You know, you can just say, oh, this is important. I'm going to give it to you. And they were tougher to grow than something like corn, which grew more easily. In one study, they found 180 different ceramics and murals depicting the consumption of cacao in Mayan culture. Then the Aztecs show up.
0: Mm. And if we know anything
1: about the Aztecs, they were not quite as friendly. Not, <laughs> not that the Mayans were all like happy-go-lucky friendly dudes and, and gals. It was probably like they were just not as brutal as the Aztecs were known to be. So they conquered Mayan territory. They were from slightly further north and west in Central America. So it was kind of like from up further into Mexico for based on what we know of today in our map. And when the Aztecs showed up, the Maya were like, yo, check out this amazing drink we have. Like, you guys should have this amazing Drink, Uh, And they started showing them how to make it. And so the Uh. Aztecs started to make it too. The difference is because they were farther up away from the tropics, they couldn't grow cacao trees as easily. So it became Mm. more... Valuable to them. They also served it cold, which is interesting for Mayas. The Mayan had a hot drink and and the uh, Aztecs, they had a cold drink, which is interesting. And only the rulers, the priests, the warriors and merchant leaders were able to drink it. So it became this like, ooh, you aren't special. You don't get this, you know, drink, which they had a different name for, um, which we think that's where the name chocolate as a word comes from. It comes from the Aztec word, which I'm not going to try and pronounce. It starts with an X. Oh, come
0: on. Come on.
1: Let me, let me do, do it. it. Okay. You put me on the spot. It's only fair. So the Mayans called it Chocolha, which is like bitter water, and the Aztecs called it huacalatl or something huacolato. like that, Yeah, <laughs> which that's where we probably get the word chocolate oh. today. So they valued cacao even more than they valued silver and gold. Because there was a lot of silver, like most silver in the world came from Central America. But the beans were used as currency in the Aztec Empire. And so when the Europeans showed up and they conquered the Mesoamericans, they see this chocolate drink, which they find disgusting, by the way, unpalatable, but they added spices and sweeteners that would make it more palatable to a European taste. But they saw it as something that like only the elites were drinking. Only the, you know, elite Aztecs were drinking because they had conquered the Mayans already. So the Spanish in the 1500s took it back to Spain. The nobility bought into the hype and then the chocolate that was high in calories and caffeine. There wasn't really anything like that in Europe. So Catholic priests and Spanish elites drank this new secret beverage. They they seriously kept it a secret for like Ooh. a long time. Eventually, the English allegedly boarded a Spanish ship and mistook cacao beans that they didn't know what they were for sheep poop pellets and so they're just like i'm gonna leave okay. it there but if they knew what it was like that was a super valuable haul of these beans
0: okay so the lesson is when you see something that looks like <laughs> animal poop you should you should grind it up and put it in your drink yeah i yeah, think that's so the i think that's the only logical takeaway yeah,
1: here super pooper that's that's yeah. what it is
0: <laughs> could be the next chocolate you could don't be. know you don't know It. what if it
1: is by the mid 1600, well, there's that serval coffee, right, where it's like a primate that eats the coffee or whatever and oh, then yeah. poops it, it out. Oh, yeah, Ser- it passes through them. Serve it, coffee? I don't know. Serval uh, is a cat. Uh, I don't know. They poop it out and then they roast the beans or whatever. That sounds gross. Yeah. But so hey. there you go.
0: That's both. Yeah, that's, that's both. That's both poop and a bean <laughs> that somebody ground up and <laughs> now they're selling it as more expensive coffee. Yeah. So... So far, my my logic tracks. It
1: does. So eventually, the secret leaks out of Spain uh, by the mid 1600s. And they started to explore this new stuff as medicinal. So again there's calories, caffeine. In fact priests were drinking it during fasting times because they're like, Well, it's not food. It's a drink. But it had Oh great. Like it had caffeine and calories in it. So they're like, Mmm. But eventually it got popular everywhere. But it was still for the wealthy and elites because it didn't really grow in Europe. You had to be in a tropical area, so you had to bring it in, and it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that chocolate became for everyone. And that was by, mm. you know, simple machines and factories were churning out chocolate in chunks. It wasn't really as good as today's version. That didn't happen until later. Like we would not have liked this chocolate. Even the drink that they made with all the sweetener didn't taste like you're picturing like hot chocolate. It didn't really taste like that. It just wasn't Mm -hmm. the same. That didn't come until the 1800s when machines were created to separate the fat, the cocoa butter and the cocoa paste so they could like really start to get to the good stuff inside those beans. that's,
0: That's the good stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there were these Dutch chocolatiers that would grind the cocoa nibs and they would grind them smaller and smaller to make them like a cocoa powder and that was the kickoff of when everybody else was like oh snap we can make this into a chocolate bar (laughs) and they did (laughs)
0: And and thus it happened.
1: Yeah. So then 1847, British chocolatier fry and sons would mix cocoa butter, chocolate liquor, and sugar. They would sometimes use butter, and they cooled it, and that was the first chocolate bar. It was consumer-friendly. It was shelf-stable. It was ready to eat. You could ship it around, and you could open it and eat it. In the 1850s, which is just a few years later, an Irishman named Sir Hans Sloan added milk to make a bitter chocolate drink from Jamaica more tasty, and that was hot chocolate. As we know oh my it now, gosh. and then in 1879, Rudolf Lint, you might recognize that name—mixed uh, an aerated chocolate to make it super smooth. And,
0: and thus... then just a few years later, the Mackinac fudge industry apparently <laughs> took true. off. That's true. That's right. Like, what right a good, that good time point. Point. span! I didn't even think of that. That's right. It's right, right there. Thin. They're at like the beginning of chocolate as we know it. Wow. Have you considered that? I didn't even make that connection.
1: Amazing! That's incredible. That's pretty.
0: That's pretty bonkers, which actually kind of would make sense why fudge became a Mackinac thing, because it's not like there was a bunch of fudge options. It's like, no, this is like the beginning of fudge. Like this
1: Victorian-era guy, the first fudge shop was Murdick's, and May's opened up. That's Lee's family's fudge shop, not that long after. But can you imagine this Victorian, you know, come try the latest in uh, European (laughs)
0: chocolate mixed into fudge and, you know, whatever. Do you enjoy the bold, delicious European flavors, but wish it mel- welded your mouth closed? <laughs> Silence your children with, with brand new <laughs> si- Fudge. Silence your children. Now that's a selling point. Silence your children with yeah, this yeah, new Fudge. Glues their mouth shut, and then it's so heavy it knocks them out. Yeah, then they just have puts an them to sleep. Well, first they'll be really hyper, then they'll have an app. yeah, <laughs> but but silent. Just <laughs> so
1: now we're now we're into the modern day, pretty much. Like people learn to mass produce cheap, easy chocolate. Uh, But it was, like, still something that wasn't so available and so cheap that you could eat it every day. You know, we weren't back to the Mayan era where it was just, like, everywhere. Uh, So instead, it was something that people associated with events and celebrations and the elites in Europe and stuff. So uh, Valentine's Day starts to come around in the 20th century. And actually, earlier than that, uh, in 1860s, a guy named Richard Cadbury... Son. Of, oh, I know that name. Yeah, son of the founder of this chocolate company, John Cadbury. So Richard mm-hmm. created fancy, quote unquote, boxes of chocolates to increase sales. And then he used, you know, drawings and stuff to decorate them. And then in the 1860s, he made one that was heart shaped for <sighs> Valentine's Day.
0: He was the progenitor of the heart-shaped box of chocolates. Yep,
1: him and Kurt Cobain. That's those are the two most famous heart-shaped boxes.
0: <laughs> Solid 90s grunge <laughs> reference. <laughs> <laughs> um wow yeah. you know it's funny because we had an episode on pizza and you talked about how like the the Domino's pizza in michigan was like the first to do delivery yeah, and, and like boxes box. and stuff yeah i'm learning the history of so many food boxes through this program
1: <laughs> <laughs> look i really love the journal of consumer research it's just a good journal okay you learn so a lot so in 1907 milton hershey created kisses I wow, learned what that did people this. do
0: before that. Just oh, hug. They just hugged. I guess it was just a bunch <laughs> of
1: O's instead of the X's. Oh, you mean
0: the you mean the chocolate? Yeah, <laughs> the right, Hershey Kiss it, chocolate.
1: <laughs> and Cadbury famously didn't patent the heart-shaped box. Oh, yeah, like a dummy. Oh, catty boy. Yeah. So instead, uh, it was used by everyone. And by 1923, Russell Stover, another name you might recognize, uh, added lace and satin, some premium drip to that box, and then it became very, very popular in the United States. Ooh. So this whole story is to say, people had loved chocolate since they discovered what they could do with it, and the people who discovered what we could do with it were these native, you know, American, Uh, ancient Americans, if you will. They're not that ancient, just a few hundred years ago. um, And the Europeans popularized it and spread it all over the world. But why do people... Think it's cool. Let's talk chemistry. Chocolate is yummy. Makes us feel good. Uh, Coffee and tea both contain theobromine, which is a very similar molecule to caffeine. And it's actually the molecule that makes it toxic to dogs and cats, interestingly. Uh, And it gives a mood lift when ingested. It's like a mood enhancer. So chocolate has both caffeine and theobromine, which are positive mood enhancers. Uh, So allegedly, Montezuma II uh, in the Aztec Empire drank a lot of chocolate chocolate because it made him feel euphoric because it also has phenethylamine phenethylamine yeah that's it
0: phenethylamine 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 pen- Seal- pen- w- pen- pen- we're organic chemistry you can tell phenethylamine okay. uh and a <laughs> <laughs> oh does it yeah yeah it does yep uh totally are and you fra- getting your daily <laughs> intake of homrimine
1: he thought that chocolate was an aphrodisiac which phenethylamine uh, is in chocolate and causes the brain to release dopamine. Phenethylamine uh, is also found in MDMA and other psychoactive substances. So we're going to get a lot of email about this from our MDMA heads out there. Uh, mm. And when eaten, though, you don't break it down the same as you do in psychoactive drugs. So there are people who are like, "Oh, the phenethylamine is that's in chocolate, and so if you eat it, you feel good, like when you you know hit the drugs." And uh, that's <laughs> not actually how it works. It our yeah. body breaks it down. So you never get to the brain. To answer Lee's question, kind of the final thing is I think the reason we eat it so much, the reason it's associated with holidays is because I think elites, we wanted it. It was for celebrations. It was something, you know, Americans are Anglo and Francophiles and they wanted this thing that was cool in Europe and they couldn't afford to have it every day. So you have it on a celebration. It was something like you would buy as a gift and something special, but There was this ingredient that was added by Europeans that made it irresistible, and it was refined by those Northern Europeans into an art. Can I guess? Yeah.
0: Just sugar, right? Straight up white death. Just got to be granulated. Yeah. Just Just sugar.
1: made it sweet as heck. So this legal mildly addictive substance was added to something that already had a bunch of mildly addictive substances in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you've probably heard of sugar. Uh, It's mixed. with. I have. Yeah, I had it probably today. I, if you live in yeah. America, you've eaten it. I, ha- I have read everything. about sugar. Have you ever eaten it before? Is
0: it, you know? No, uh, never got the chance. Oh, well, if, you get, it, if you get
1: a chance, uh, don't. You'll become addicted, just like <laughs> oh, okay. everyone.
0: Can you imagine the next recording we have? <laughs> I'm just completely <laughs> strung out. You, you show up, up, your whole face is covered in chocolate. In powdered sugar, just <laughs> like... <laughs> Oh, I gotta give him a fix. Why did nobody tell me about this?
1: <laughs> yeah, mixed with the uh, bitterness of chocolate sugar is just perfect. So
0: yeah, um, you'd, you'd be amazed. Have you ever had chocolate without? Oh added yeah. sugar. It's, it's a lot. So bitter. My
1: grandma really loved super dark, like ninety five percent chocolate. But like baking chocolate, they don't add yeah. sugar to it. So exactly, if you were if you want to know what chocolate really tastes like without all that, go buy some baking chocolate. Or like some baking chocolate powder that has no sweetener in it. It's My, hard to uh, consume.
0: In seventh grade, a friend of mine pulled a prank on me where he gave me baking chocolate, just telling me it was dark chocolate. And he was like, here, have some. And I've never forgiven him. John, John Jordan, if you're out there, I'm still mad about this. And you have two first names. You got me first so names. good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> or Jota Cuadrada, as we called him in our Spanish class, because they're two J's. Oh, so, cool. Like J squared. Anyway. Still mad. Yeah. Still mad at Jonathan Jordan. I can believe
1: that. I yeah. mean.
0: It was a long time ago.
1: The best palatable chocolate in the world is sweet chocolate. Uh, you know, it's so it's easy. It comes from Europe because they use this industrial capitalism to refine it and grind it smaller and smaller. So you don't like taste all the chunks and all the bits. Uh, mm-hmm. And they squeezed all the fat and all of the stuff out of the beans. And, you know, they roasted it in the right way and they fermented in the right way. So, yeah, that's that's the story of chocolate. Um, wow. Do you want to know why we have chocolate bunnies on Easter?
0: Uh, sure, as a side note. Yeah, just a is, bonus. You're two months ahead of our Easter episode, but I yeah, know, why yeah.
1: Pennsylvania Dutch. That's just it.
0: Just Dutch people in Pennsylvania or is Pennsylvania Dutch like a person?
1: Uh, the Pennsylvania Dutch, the Dutch people of Pennsylvania, a Germanic centric okay. uh, group of people, they, they were using they loved Easter because, you know, that Germanic centric Easter popular Thing was going on in the U.S. in this in this group, the Pennsylvania Dutch, um, and in the 18th century, they were making cardboard or paper rabbits, and they were popular at Easter. And they would mm. stuff them with treats, uh, sort of like in my mind, like a small, boring pinata. Like a, yeah, like a <laughs>
0: Dutch pinata. <laughs> yeah,
1: which they probably were just like, here you go. You don't get to like hang it from a tree and smack it around a bit. And that's like the most what? fun. So
0: our hollow. Easter bunnies then they could be so much better they should be stuffed with more th- more things wouldn't that be great yeah uh, yeah no we're we're getting we're getting had on this one we got to right. have some treats inside of our treats please thank you I would like candy in my candy yeah <laughs> candyception Ooh.
1: Uh, and then clearly in the 19th century, the Industrial Revolution meant chocolate was accessible. And so the parents could make chocolate rabbits um, because they were making the cardboard or paper ones. So I bet you there was some like, I don't know, keeping up with the Joneses in the Pennsylvania <laughs> Dutch community where like, did you see Cheryl gave chocolate rabbits to Kent, wow. And they were like, now I have to do it. And Frank was mad about it. And, you
0: know, he's like, so so the Dutch Dutch really ground up and refined that cocoa powder. And then the Pennsylvania Dutch made the chocolate. And the Dutch are just, okay, yeah. Chocolate, I guess, is just the, the Dutch are the, the, Dutch way. the pros. Yeah, they're the pros, yeah, I guess. That's their, their whole bag. That's their whole thing.
1: There was somebody who them. lived near the Pennsylvania Dutch territory of uh, the, like, territory. Like, they have a wall. I don't know. They created a... <laughs> A five foot or one and a half meter tall chocolate bunny for a store. It was allegedly like that they think is the kickoff to outside of that community being like, what is that? And it started this trend. And in the early 20th century, newspapers were calling chocolate Easter bunnies and eggs a, quote, bona fide tradition. That was in like 1907. I actually read the article. It was really cool.
0: oh yeah we've been doing this for like five years now so therefore
1: (laughs) yeah must be the thing must be a thing
0: yeah this is how it's always been done since we started doing it yeah you know trace thank you for your very sweet answer Ah, Uh, wow it's uh, gonna be
1: bittersweet to put this question in the past we did say this was a science and sometimes comedy podcast so i apologize (laughs)
0: all right well we will be back with my question after this if you've turned into this
1: Turned into it? You've <laughs> turned you, into one.
0: You've turned into a science comedy <laughs> podcast. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm a podcast. Am I going to be late to work?
1: If you're tuned into this science and comedy podcast, chances are that you are someone who loves learning and having a blast while doing it.
0: If it wasn't clear, Trace and I are the same way. We thrive on learning new things because it not only enriches our lives, helps us learn new skills, but also makes us really cool at parties. Is that what we are at parties? are we? We are, right? We're cool. I
1: mean, when you're at my house and I'm at your house, definitely, but like, oh, uh, their houses
0: anyway (laughs) this is all to say i am super excited about our new sponsor brilliant yay can i kind of get a little like you know in my feels for a second oh yeah get those feels elaborate please hey i see what you did there i am exactly the kind of person that brilliant was made for i have always been interested in math physics computer science when i had the chance to study these things in college years ago i was also really intimidated by them yeah and i avoided taking these classes and honestly i regret it i'm going back now i'm taking classes at my local community college i'm loving it yeah But with a family and work, traditional classes like that, I'm finding them really hard to actually fit into my life. So I was really excited when you told me that Brilliant was going to be a sponsor. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, by the way, out there. It's an interactive learning platform with so many lessons on topics that I always wanted to explore. And I can do them at my own pace, on my schedule, and in a way that keeps me engaged.
1: You can learn by doing on their website or with their mobile apps. And there are thousands of different interactive lessons in STEM Subjects all across the platform. Their
0: lessons are engaging and interactive.
1: You can brush up on like algebra or advanced math, multivariable calculus, differential equations,
0: computer science, Python programming. You can even learn about cutting edge stuff like large language models, neural networks, the things that are powering AI today.
1: Large language
0: models, really big right now. <laughs> large language models. You can learn large language <laughs> models. <laughs> and it's only Gaelic, though. The large language that you can learn is Gaelic. Yeah, ship that. I'm in. We can finally communicate with the Scots.
1: <laughs> okay, well, but anyway. Wherever you are in your learning journey, there is a brilliant course that will help you get to the next level
0: or, you know, just be basic enough to get you an understanding that you can go and work with. Yeah, they're always adding new courses too. They just launched a ton of lessons focused on analyzing data.
1: That's cool. That's really cool. I
0: think the world would be a better place if everyone had to take a stats class.
1: Oh, totally. And
0: if you haven't taken one, Here's your chance.
1: You could just go take a statistics class and make Julian so, so happy. I would appreciate that. Try it out.
0: You can try Brilliant for free for 30 days. Just visit brilliant.org absurd or click the link in the show notes.
1: Once again, that's brilliant.org absurd. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off the annual premium subscription, and it supports the show, even just trying it out.
0: So go ahead check it out maybe get sucked into a few lessons Trace and I are going to be here with the rest of the episode when you get back if you get back
1: oh I hope you get back
0: they come back and they know more than us about everything
1: (laughs) they're just like these guys are
0: idiots (laughs) their brains are the size the huge brain coming out of their cranium I've absorbed all knowledge why do I
1: listen to this podcast of dummies I
0: have no time for your absurd (laughs) antics
1: But I would definitely take one on large language models. A
0: Scottish AI robot that nobody can understand. (laughs) (laughs) Sonny, turn on the lights!
1: (laughs) Sonny! I'm the burglar alarm.
0: It supports the show. It'll be great. (laughs)
1: And we're back. Thank you for sticking around to the second half of That's Absurd Please Elaborate. Julian, you now have a question that I have to say I peeked to see what your question was, and I'm very excited about it. This is so good.
0: You know, um, I didn't mean to make this holiday related, but it can't It kind of can be. Uh, We will. This will probably have some some um, tidbits uh, that are more kind of adult centric. If you don't want to explain like specific parts of anatomy to a toddler, uh, just be aware that we're going to be talking about some things. Oh, but it's important. Nice content warning. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Maybe you you should listen to this after the kiddos go to bed or something.
0: Yeah. Right at the top of the break, you know. So my question comes from Xander, who asks, Can the human body, quote unquote, design, be improved upon intentionally? And then Xander elaborates. He says, the human body is a mess. The ankle and the foot are pure chaos. The eye has the retina backwards with the blood vessels blocking it. And don't get me started on the knees. So my question is, could body failures like the ones I've mentioned or some others you come up with be fixed using CRISPR or some other technology? Thanks. Hmm. Xander, I love this question. Because as, as somebody living uh, with a woman studying biology and not only that because of the pandemic and online courses i get to overhear her lectures frequently i have a new appreciation for just what an absolute mess the human body is oh no it's a garbage fire <laughs> it's it's really <laughs> so slapdash. It's a lot of like ad hoc solutions to problems that were created by basically becoming humans, and there's no way around that. Oh no! Uh, and and I'd like to just say, first of all, Xander, flex and knowledge right off the bat in the uh, in the more detailed question uh, because it's true. All these things like the foot, the the eyeball, the knee are real weak points. In our, you know, build as it were, I hesitate to say design because that implies a designer. Mm -hmm. But the way that they operate and you know were structured is suboptimal to say the least. (laughs) Suboptimal. What if you had to give
1: the human body a grade, like A plus, perfect human body? It was everything is the build is is perfect, solid. No no notes. Uh, yeah. where where are we on the a to f flunking out scale
0: are, are, are we on a scale of like first of all just like horrible garbage fire of a of a organism to like some theoretical perfect organism are we going like on a design scale like the most beautiful elegant machine at yeah, the top yeah that's know.
1: what i'm thinking i'm thinking like this machine is so good oh okay. wow no notes to wow this this you just have a pile of broken so pieces
0: we're from like ford pinto <laughs> At the bad end, to like Toyota Corolla. Oh at the yeah, good end. Yeah, exactly. I know people would say Ferrari. No, that's definitely. But I would argue that a Toyota that
1: Corolla. Look, a thing that can go a million miles for twenty thousand yeah, dollars—that is a perfect
0: machine, unkillable. <laughs> unless you are my wife,
1: <laughs>
0: machine. <laughs> we had it. We had a Toyota Corolla. Uh, it was 21 years old, and and, uh, and it is now gone. But yeah, that's my that's yes. that's what peak performance looks like. Right? If you ask How me. close
1: are we to the Toyota Corolla? Are we?
0: Here's the thing. I think we. I think we are. You the personally, Ferrari.
1: Oh, you personally are a Ferrari of a human.
0: Me, <laughs> the man that stands before you, <laughs> all five foot ten, one hundred and thirty four pounds of me. Wow, is basically yeah, like this. Um, high performance, but maybe engineered with more passion and feelings <laughs> than like really well thought out
1: plans. See, you
0: know I so you feel like the human body
1: is mostly if engineer was just vibes. They're just like, nah, yeah, I'm a vibe it out. It was gonna be if good. If we
0: were designed by a bunch of Italians, I think we would turn <laughs> out looking exactly how we are. Well,
1: maybe I would. Does that makes sense. I'm much hairier than you, so I probably would be like <laughs> closer to the original design. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you're the you're the the special edition Ferrari with the uh, fur lined <laughs> seats. <laughs> Look very good for warm or cold weather. Oh yeah, I know. cold, cold weather. weather. Okay, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. When I say that, like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, we can do a lot of cool things that other "quote unquote" cars cannot, but it comes at a cost.
1: Yeah, nobody just I, I, you see Ferraris on the street, but uh, having a Ferrari is having a hobby. It's not yeah. having a car. It's not a yeah. daily commuter. It's no. not a like I'm going to go drive around and just ha- you're like I'm going to go take out my hobby and drive it. You. you the Ferrari is the model train obsession of cars. If people are we,
0: are we two layers of an analogy deep now? <laughs> we are two layers. You organisms are cars, and Ferraris are trains. Are the model train
1: because <laughs> everybody knows that guy that's super into model trains? But when you look at a Ferrari, mm-hmm. you're distracted by all of the like hype. Whereas you should just think of it as like a dude in coveralls with a striped hat
0: on being like, Check out my Ferrari. Oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> right. And this specific marking on it makes it more valuable that, right, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Let's so let's back up on the
1: analogies back to humans, right, sorry. Right.
0: Let's let's come out of the analogy inception because we went too deep. We did, yeah. We have to come back up. Okay. But let's let's talk about Xander's actual examples, which are solid ones, right? Talking about the foot. So the foot is essentially like a lever, right? Mm-hmm. We need it to, like, hold us upright, right? Give us a little bit of s- some some area to balance on. And we also need it to, as we're walking, push off on the ground for us and also absorb impacts when all of our weight lands on our foot. right? So it's basically like a lever. And for something of this use, if you were to design it, you would want something flexible, but rigid, but maybe not a lot of, you know, disparate parts. Do you know how many bones are in your foot? Just one foot alone. I mean,
1: I'm pretty sure I could guess. It's more than you think. I know that because I've hurt my foot before. And so it's like there's the tarsals and then there's the metatarsals. And if you think of like the bone of each toe is at least a couple of bones. And then there's bones inside the foot because
0: it can flex. I don't know. I'm going to guess like 20. You're close. Oh. You're close. But you undershot. It's 26. Okay. Wow. There's 26 bones in each foot. Wow. So So there's 52 52. bones
1: Just, just in your feet.
0: Yeah, and the human body has a total of 206 bones. Wow. So, like, a quarter of your bone budget is just your feet. Wow. I mean, they are pretty important,
1: but that's a lot of bones.
0: They are, but they are not well-suited for that job of being a lever. There's just too much flexibility in all these different bones and the 33 joints that, you know, connect them to everything. Mm. And so we're prone to a lot of foot injuries and problems as a result but it's a great piece of evidence for evolution because you know we and other apes we all descended from common ancestors that had feet that were also useful kind of for grabbing onto trees when we were up in the trees and stuff and so all of these different bones that are very similar to our hand bones those make a lot of sense for that use case but three to four million years ago, when we think that, you know, the forests in Africa retracted and were replaced with a lot of grassland, and suddenly these our ape ancestors came down from the trees and had a lot of grassland instead that they had to figure out how to survive in, upright walking became a lot more useful hmm. than the ability to climb trees. So these foot bones that we have now, they basically turned into the shape that they're in within the span of about half a million years which is not very that's long not, at that's all. like a blink of an eye in it geologic is.
1: time and evolution it time so, it's like two blinks
0: so you know it's like when you take basically any sort of tool that's meant for one thing and you're in a pinch and you use it for another thing yeah every tool is a hammer can it work yeah exactly but can, then can you break it, work? it yes is it ideal no, no.
1: Use no, the right it's really tool. not. Just go, just go, yeah. get, go, just go back to the hardware store. I know it's a five minute drive back to the hardware store, and get the right tool. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, just go get the right one.
0: Which in this case might be like bird legs. Oh, they're better. Yeah, well, their feet specifically are a lot less complex. We've actually talked about this on our very first episode. Yeah. Where where that thing that looks like a knee that's Mm -hmm. bending backwards is actually their ankle. Right. I remember that. Yeah. So when you get down to the the actual foot bits, there's a lot fewer moving parts in there. So it's a lot less prone to injury. Hmm. I mean,
1: yeah, that makes total sense. We have mm-hmm. 52 bones in our feet. They have fewer bones. That's just less complexity. Less complexity yeah. is better.
0: But they had a lot longer to get to the point they're at now, because as you'll recall, birds are just dinosaurs, literally. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they, they evolved from bipedal dinosaurs that were around tens to hundreds of millions of years ago. Yeah. A lot of time for the bird foot to adapt for, for upright walking. For us, uh, silly apes not so great. The retina is another great example that Xander brings up. Vertebrate eyes, for the most part, they're bad. Oh. They have a huge blind spot. I thought and that, I mean that.
1: eyes were pretty good. You know, I can see you. I can see a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Except they literally have a huge blind spot. Yeah. As in, if you can imagine, right, the way your eyeballs work is when light comes in through, you know, the the cornea and the lens and the pupil, right? And Mm -hmm. it gets into your eye and it hits the back, right? Got it. It excites some cells, some rods and cones. And those rods and cones send a signal to a nerve. And then that nerve, you know, travels, sends the signal up to your brain. And you interpret these signals as, as vision. Right. Only problem is the nerve part is in front of the rod and cone part like the light has to get through those nerve cells and other cells to actually get to the cells that they need to stimulate. Right. So, it, so
1: it's just got a shadow on it all the time.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's it's going to block some some light, right? It's going to those cells are going to absorb some of that light. And because the wiring is in effect backwards, right? Because the the nerves are on the inside part of your eyeball, but they have to get to your brain, they've got to tunnel through your retina to get back to your brain. Ooh. So where all those nerves bundle up like a and form basically a big cable, the optic nerve, that is a literal actual blind spot you have in each eye.
1: So the rods and cones behind that are like always in the dark? Mm-hmm. A, like... a,
0: more so than they would be if they were like they were encephalopod eyes. They're
1: like... Always in the dark and living in a powder keg, and giving off sparks.
0: Because they, I'm so they mad really I didn't need catch that. Yeah, I was too excited to talk about about <laughs> squid eyes. Squid eyes are very cool and very big. Yes, but they are not but, Bonnie Tyler. No, dang it! I Should have caught that. I'm so mad. Okay, <laughs> okay. Was, cephalopod eyes. My blind spot. Well, they don't have this issue with a blind spot because their nerves are. On the backside of their eye, which makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah. If you were
1: literally designing something to see, for example, Mm -hmm. like we have done with digital cameras, you don't put the wires in front of the camera sensor.
0: Yeah, it's kind of silly.
1: That wouldn't really work good
0: kind of silly you put them on the back you can by the way it's really cool you can find your your blind spot in your eye i actually did it earlier you can just take a little card about two inches by five inches or that would be about five centimeters by 12 centimeters and if you draw a shape towards one edge you know halfway up the card like a circle and a shape on the other edge halfway up the card like a triangle uh you can actually you know look at it at arm's length, if you move it towards your eye while looking at the shape on the left side, you'll still be able to see that shape on the right side. Yeah. But if you cover up your left eye and start moving it towards yourself at a certain point, the that shape, shape on disappears. the right side that you're not looking at, it just disappears. Yeah. Because when you have both eyes open, your left eye is filling in that information that your right eye can't get and vice versa. Yeah. But if you've only got one at a certain point, stuff's just going to fall in your blind spot.
1: And and for people who are wondering, they're like, no, I don't got that. You know, your brain is filling in the information. Your brain is processing mm-hmm. that and essentially saying, like, okay, there's a blind spot in the right eye. Uh, let's pick up from the left eye and fill yeah. it in. You know, give me
0: camera two. Give me
1: camera two, just for this section. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's you know, picture
0: in picture camera two here. <laughs>
1: AI generative fill things. Your brain does that all the time. It's yeah. just doing it constantly, every day, yeah. everywhere you look.
0: But so cool. it's not great. It's not not great. I'd rather have more information than, you know, a a badly filled in kind of dummy standing in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And Xander mentions knees, another great example. Because of that sudden shift to upright walking, uh, we had to take joints that didn't support all of our weight and make them support all of our weight. Mm -hmm. And so the ligaments which are what connect bone to bone. That's a, diff- a, a tendon connects muscle, muscle to, bone, to bone, a ligament connects bone to bone. Right. The the four ligaments in each knee are not very robust or thick, and they're okay for backwards and forwards movement like you normally use them. But when you put lateral loads on them, that's when stuff starts to break. That's why you see a lot of like ACL and MCL injuries in sports, mm-hmm. uh, especially when like in football, if somebody gets hit in the knees or in hockey or something like that, and it can it can really be devastating because it has has to hold up so much weight and support it, but it wasn't, quote unquote, designed for that. It was really reappropriated from ancestors that walked on all four limbs.
1: Yeah. The L in ACL and MCL is ligament. That's.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. there you go. And they're like anterior cruciate ligaments yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. I won't go into the, all the, all the, the fancy anatomy part. Names. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it goes so deep. You can really start looking into a lot of issues. And, When I would listen in on my wife's biology lectures, she had a professor, Francisco Gago, Dr. Gago, who constantly loved pointing out all the terrible design, quote unquote, flaws And so I emailed. Yeah, I was going to say, please tell me that you called Dr. Gago. I emailed Dr. Gago. And I asked him what other suggestions he had for things to look into. And he had actually a couple of them for me. and, And this was just a start. He says one of the classic examples, right, is the pharynx, which is where the trachea and the esophagus join. Why would you put a tube that you need to keep open so you can get air into your lungs and breathe? joined up with the tube that solid food has to go down.
1: Yeah, I think about that a lot. That's a terrible idea. That's like a bad design. We
0: Yeah. It, so which is we, why, you
1: know, not a design.
0: Not a design. <laughs> so so it's why we've got to have the epiglottis, right? The little flap that like closes off and blocks that windpipe so when you eat food, it doesn't go into the tube that you need to keep clear in order to breathe. Right. Right? There are... Animals where this is not an issue whales. yeah the tube that leads to their gut and intestine uh, is totally separate from the tube that leads to their lungs out out the blowhole. Two separate systems. If I were to start on a drawing board, uh, probably, probably do something like that. You know, the trachea is the one in front, and the esophagus is behind it. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, you want air to go to the trachea, and you want to be able to taste things and chew with your mouth. I maybe put put the opening for our nose. Over here? Yeah, exactly. In the chin area? We all have have chin
1: noses. I was thinking just more side of the neck. Just like get it even further. Just get it off the head. You know, there's already enough stuff up in the head. Let's get it off the head. Let's go, you know, you remember in Avatar? This is the thing that actually bothers me about the documentary Avatar about the world of Pandora. (laughs) Is that every other animal in that movie that isn't the Navi breathe essentially through their collarbone which is a really good spot it's somewhat protected there's a bone there like it mm-hmm. actually makes sense to have breathing holes like down here at your collarbone it gets it out of the neck and the head it you know right. great except the navi for some reason have noses and mouths like humans that yeah. that does not track evolutionarily all oh the other gosh. species breathe through their collarbones except for this one species yeah that doesn't make sense but no, anyway it doesn't i'm not gonna it, get into it let's not like dig they into
0: made it. the the cat people more anthropomorphic so we could like Relate and empathize with them, but everything else super alien because they could, but then they didn't think about it from like an evolutionary development point of view where where everything yeah. had to be related. So they should probably have like similar structures and systems. Nope.
1: Nope. I mean, they have similar structures and systems when it comes to their little diggly diggly. Oh, yeah, they're interfacable. They're, they're, little,
0: <laughs> they're, they're USB. little alien. They're USBs. <laughs> yeah, they're little alien doing it organs, which yeah. I think is now a good time for that content warning that I mentioned. Oh, right. Yeah. content warning yeah so dr gago also mentions a few a few problems with uh with our giblets our our little biddly bits Ooh, our
1: biddly bits
0: yeah if you will wait Uh, which
1: biddly bits the penis or the vagina uh let's start with
0: the penis okay yeah honestly and and more specifically really the testicles (gasps) good old trace i mean this as a friend your testicles are horrible I mean... Sorry, sorry. I know. I know it's tough to hear. But so are mine. And oh, so good. everybody it's not else... not me personally. <laughs> every Ooh. other human with testicles. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty sure particular. I didn't text you
1: that big. on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: happy Valentine's Day to you too, by the way. Uh, basically, testicles for humans introduce a lot of problems. Huh. Yeah. they so, a but- sensitive
1: reproductive organ that is necessary to reproduce... In a very unprotected location.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's that. They're vulnerable, for sure. But the reason that we have evolved this way is because uh, it seems like sperm need to be in more of a uh, cooler climate to be in more of a resting state. Yeah. And then when they are, you know... In a a vagina, the warmer environment kind of activates their metabolism and gets them going and and they, you know, swim to the egg and, and make the next generation. But this system of keeping them a little bit cooler prolongs how... Long that there, you know, the shelf life of the yeah, sperm. Shelf basically. life, sperm, sperm shelf so, yeah. life. So humans have evolved to kind of keep them in storage and in, in our little dangly bits, you know, on the outside, as a way of lowering the temperature one or two degrees Celsius. Right, right. But like you mentioned, vulnerable, not not great. Uh, also, from an aesthetic point of view, terrible. Just what's going kinda, on there? Weird, awful. Yeah. But it also introduces some complications with our internal organs. Hmm. So, you know, when the humans are developing in, inside of uh, their parents, they are, basically the organs have a little kind of sack around them, a pertineum, mm-hmm. right? And this is a nice protective layer, and it keeps the internal organs where they should be yeah. on the inside. Right. Now, if the fetus, however, develops testes... The testes have to descend through a little opening in in the pelvis, and they stretch that pertineum with them. And so this sac that's supposed to keep all your internal bits internal has a hole in it so the testes can get where they need to go. Oh, no. And this makes humans with testes much more vulnerable to hernias, which yeah. is when the intestines... Decides it's going to explore through that hole, too. <laughs> yeah. That's not great. Ouch. There's also the fact that, you know, if if you've got uh, a penis, you use the same hole for urine and for semen. Yeah. And so in order to make the tubage work, the testes, you know, have a little tube that goes up uh, and out to the penis And it goes through a a prostate gland that adds fluid to it. But the tube that your urine comes out of also has to go through this prostate gland. And so if the prostate, say, swells up, then you can't pee pee anymore. Yeah. So we learned a lot
1: about peeing in our previous Mm -hmm. episode.
0: Mm hmm. So there are possible design solutions, right? You could make it so, oh, the sperm actually, they don't function optimally at uh, a little below body temperature. That's body temperature can be like their resting state. And then they really kick into overdrive if things are a bit hotter than that. And then the vagina could be hotter. And then yeah. the, then the Just testes a little can come warmer inside. On the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the testes can come inside and they don't need to, to yeah. be dangling in the wind, so to speak. It's sort of and, like
1: if you could design a Sim City, you know? Yeah. Like you could build it however you want. And you could also like if you were designing it, you probably mm-hmm. wouldn't put the one of the most important places on a small island with only one way in and out that's also <laughs> next to the trash plant. Yes. Right? And you wouldn't be like, oh, they're going to share a bridge. That's the only bridge <laughs> in and out. Uh, and <laughs> like it, yep. you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You would find yep. a way to put it somewhere, you know, more important, mm-hmm. more, we're gonna, more better. We're
0: going to make the, the path that carries all of our garbage and that takes our future generation to preschool right. we're gonna put the, put the put hospital all, that where all the all babies are have to go through the same toll bridge oh god and also the the school bus can decide to block the trash bus arbitrarily <laughs> just shut that down because it wants to some really good analogies of this episode yeah. <laughs> I'm crushing it here. we're professional science communicators let me just say that yeah right now <laughs> So, yeah, th- that's uh, a big problem with that. Lungs, too, they're not great. They are, uh, as Dr. Gago puts it, invaginations of the anterior portion of the gut, which means our gut, when we were developing, uh, some of that just kind of folds in on itself and that becomes lungs. Huh. Yeah.
1: And so. That's annoying. This- I know. Instead of um, eating food, it eats air.
0: <laughs> basically but like now you have these issues we've talked about like dead air space inside the lungs because of like the shape of the lungs and that air can't move everywhere right and so you don't really get all the way to the bottom yeah yeah
1: inefficient they're inefficient systems of breathing
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh you've got more issues from upright w- walking because uh you know it's great that we can now use our hands. It frees that up. But then to support us, our spine has to go upright. Whereas yeah. in other vertebrates, it can be this nice curved arch structure that's very strong. You know, like when you design a building, arch is strong. Yeah. Ours has to take on that funky curve shape to hold us upright and free up our hands. And then it gives us spine problems. Right. So, so that's not great. And then our big old brains. That, you know, make us useful and smart. Uh, and so we can actually make use of these hands that are now free. They don't fit through this narrow little pelvis that we have in order to walk upright. Yeah. And, and so when yeah.
1: birthing, we have to, as they say, the pelvis is a compromise.
0: Yes. <laughs> so absolutely. when you birth the
1: baby, their skull can't be solid. It has to be squishy enough to get through the birth canal. Right. Unless you have modern medicine. But, you know, still the, the evolution size side of it.
0: So let's get to Xander's question, which was, can you design something better? I think it's pretty definitive. You could, on a drawing board, come up with many, many, many improvements to yeah. the human body. The yeah. list is so long. Yeah, I haven't even gotten to most of them that I've found, right? But when we come to the practical question of how could you do it,
1: mm. yeah, that's they mentioned a mentioned CRISPR. Yeah, right. that's really tough.
0: So Dr. Gago says... CRISPR for a lot of these issues is not going to be helpful, right? It's CRISPR is useful right now for um, you know, tweaking how like certain biochemicals form or uh helping with metabolic problems or developmental problems. But in order to you can't really take it and just insert a gene like whole cloth and like completely fix our leg structure. It's it's right. so, 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 so complicated. Hundreds
1: or thousands and, you know, uh, genes that can affect yeah. any individual system. And it's not like it's a map, you know, chromosome 1 to 23 or whatever. Okay, legs are only uh, chromosome 4, and, like, eyeballs are chromosome 7. You know, it's yeah. like they're scattered all over the genome. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people who don't know, CRISPR or CRISPR-Cas9 is essentially a, a genetic editing tool that we found in bacteria where you can program a tiny little bit of of genetic material to slice another bit of genetic material and insert something or cut something out. Um, it, that's probably the easiest way I can describe it. But anyway, yeah. we usually call it CRISPR, but it's CRISPR-Cas9. Uh, it's is, like the, the it's cut cool and paste
0: tool. of... Yeah. Genetics, Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a very useful. cool tool.
1: Really interesting. Um, also, super unethical to do on humans. Only, yeah, only admittedly been done once, and that scientist went to jail for it uh, yeah. because the person, because the twins that he messed with in China could not uh, consent to being messed with, and now mm-hmm. them and all of their offspring forever will have been messed with by this right. one person, which is right. so, weird and uneth- unethical.
0: So, could you theoretically, uh, maybe, if you could understand all? the complexities, you know, but it would it would be grossly unethical and you'd probably uh really seriously negatively mutate a lot of people along the way. Yeah. But it's the only way that these changes are going to be heritable, right? Yeah. Because there are technological improvements that we have made for some things. Like the foot. Mm. Right? The foot's not great, but there are people who, you know, are born without feet or lose feet. And you know, engineers can look at that and say, well, we could just make basically a, a springy lever and just put that on, you know, where the foot would be. And now you've got something that really can't be injured that like a foot can. It's much simpler and it's a lot more efficient. There has actually been, you know, talks of runners that have uh, uh, prosthetic feet like these if they have an unfair advantage yeah, because of how much better these work than the feet that most people are born with.
1: Yeah, it gives them kind of more energy back in a, in a step than a foot does, from what I mm-hmm. understand.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if I were to design the perfect human, Ooh. do you know what I would make? What what would change? Yeah, what, obviously my wife, because it's post Valentine's hey, Day. Hey, Valentine's Day. Me too. Yeah, obviously totally. That's yeah. the perfect human. That's you're but right. Yes, for me, perfect human for me. I would, first of all, I'd put her uh, her breathing intake below her mouth in mm-hmm. some way. I like the clavicle. Hadn't thought of yeah. that. So we'll put them there. So no nose, but we'll, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get rid of the nose. You can have it
1: for aesthetics if you want. Yeah. But...
0: Flat face there. Probably, probably make them walk on all fours again, right? So oh. that spine can resume that arch shape. Yeah. Sure, That's sure, sure, better. Sure. Take some weight off those knees. Also allow for a wider pelvis, right? Because we don't have to worry so much about keeping the center of gravity uh, right in the middle when they're walking because you got these four four limbs now. Yeah. So uh, wider pelvis for our baby's giant heads because they'll be geniuses. Yeah. But my ideal human still needs to be able to use hands for things. So I give them more arms. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I add two more arms right on there, like Goro from Mortal Kombat. Wow. Yeah, that's my that's what peak performance is. I'm really trying to to see
1: where you're going with this, but I'm like having trouble. I'm just picturing this weird monster.
0: No, there's no there's no reference anywhere that I'm getting at. I'm just saying (laughs) I would make a six limbed noseless (laughs) uh, a, a <laughs> like some kind human of being. weird millipede. Yeah. Kind of yeah, exactly. Like a human centipede. Oh, oh gross. No. Don't do that. No. <laughs> no, do oh, it. No. Now, some of these things you might be able to do with gene editing. We mentioned CRISPR. We also haven't talked about another important thing, Hawks genes, which is short for homeobox genes. Mm. Because these genes are very, very well conserved, not just from like one generation of an uh, animal to the next, but like for possibly even millions and millions and millions of years. Because what these genes do, specifically Hox genes, is during development of, you know, like the embryo, you know, uh, as it's growing, they tell the other genes, like, where stuff goes. You know, all your genes that are somatic, you know, that have complete copies of your DNA, they all have all your genes, So even though your liver is a liver, the cells in your liver have the DNA for, like, making bones. They have the plans for
1: all of it. Everybody has all the blueprints.
0: Right. So Hox genes during development are, like, the high-level kind of organizers that say, like, okay, arm genes, you're going to activate here. Okay, butt genes, you're going to activate here. Head genes, you're on over here, right? They're the ones kind of controlling the flow of things. And scientists have made creatures... With things where things are not normally supposed to be. Ooh. Yeah. Like in 1995, some Swiss scientists, they took a Hox gene from a mouse... And they, they inserted it into the genome of a fruit fly, Drosophilia melanogaster. That's always oh, the, the poor old, fruit fly that always seems to get it. Good Drosophilia
1: melanogaster. <laughs> Love that guy. Oh, Girl. they really Bing. get the
0: worst of it, right? Yeah, they do. And this hox gene, poor all of these animals and, and roundworms, yeah. So this hox gene encoded for uh, where to put an eyeball. It would activate...
1: Oh, God. Oh, this is a horror movie.
0: And they put it on the fly's abdomen, on its butt, <laughs> Right? And the fly grew an eye on its butt. Oh, God. But it didn't grow a mouse eye. It grew a fly eye. Because hawks genes don't say, you know, you're going to make a structure that look eye. like this. Yeah. Right. You, they say, you're going to make this thing here. They're Eyes. responsible for, like, the body plans of organisms and stuff. Right. So. Theoretically, if you altered Hawks' genes or activated them in certain places, I think we could get a, a four-armed person, a six-limbed person, and I think that solves a lot of our problems right off the get-go. We'd need you know? to eat a lot more. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you would.
1: But you'd need, be uh, able—you'd be able to hold two six-inch subs in each hand. That's all, four, that's 2 feet of subs easy easy to hold.
0: Your mind went immediately to sandwiches. Lovely. You'd be so good at hugging though. Oh, the bestest hugs. A little bit. Yeah.
1: Wow. Really yeah. really cradly.
0: And and with no nose, super good kisser too. Really?
1: You'd have to breathe. Yeah. Oh yeah, you'd have to breathe down no, here.
0: You could stay locked into that kiss forever if you wanted. You know, keep if breathing. Yeah. Tell you, you need to, need to eat. eat. Yeah. In which case, let's make another mouth. <laughs> Okay. Oh, my yeah, no my um <laughs> you ever see a teenager's first car that's just got way too much stuff like bolted onto it?
1: That's you. That's your that's your, what my that's human your perfect human. Like. Your
0: perfect human is
1: the uh 1999 PC that I built with yeah. my allowance. It's just like, yes. how many lights can I put in this box? Oh yeah, yeah, RGB <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think if I were going to make a change, this is a boring one. But if I could just like if you were like you could make one one fix. I think I would put a seatbelt on the brain, you know, like have little connectors that keep the brain more or less like just, just, mm-hmm. just like little stretchy connect. Cause right now it, people don't really think about it, but the brain is essentially floating inside of an, a, a hard box yeah. uh, in fluid. And it's attached at one, you know, at one spot that goes down the back. But like when you head bang, when you cr- get in a bump, when you like the brain moves around and that's how you get concussions. So like one Easy fix might just be, you know, just like a few tie downs, you know, here and there. Just to kind of like stretchy tie downs to just mitigate. (laughs) Those elastic. Yeah, a little elastic. Like basically I want bungee cords for the brain. Brain bungee (gasps) cords. Just get them on there. And that way the brain doesn't slide around quite as much. That could be helpful. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: And It'll hey, really if good. the skull gets bigger with my uh, quadruped human with two extra arms, it uh, yeah. doesn't matter, right? Just just widen that pelvis out some more. Just widen it. Not up. a big deal. Don't widen have to up. compromise. Apple yeah. bottom jeans, you know, buddy. One last thing, right? To address like the problems with testes and stuff, you know, being inside. I also sure, thought sure, sure. You could have like a separate penis, like one. Like sharks have have the two like That's claspers, yeah. right? Yeah. But why don't we have like one one for waist and one for one for Valentine's Day?
1: Honestly, why don't you just, just if you're gonna do it, unplug the uh the waste tube, plug that into the rectum. Like let's just yeah. put all the waste in one place. Yeah. All the all the, you know, carnival in the front. We got party in the front, we got business in the back. That's it. Right. We basically have the mullet of the groin.
0: And that's that's my ideal person. <laughs> A six limbed pee pooping. <laughs> <laughs> no testes, noseless, excellent hugger, kisser, and probably lover with big old, big old dump truck hips. A
1: bedonk with a bedonk. Yeah.
0: So for Valentine's Day, if you're out there listening, you, you send me, you drop me a DM. <laughs> consent, consent is given. <laughs> Tell your wife. <laughs> I, I, I Katie would be, be interested it. too. <laughs> she, she'd probably want to adopt it as a pet. That's true. You have something. a lot of pets. Yeah, we do. We do.
1: Well, thank you everyone for sending in your questions this week. To Lee and Xander, thank you for sending in your questions. This was very weird. This is a very strange Valentine's episode. <laughs> so eat some chocolate. Talk to your partner or your friends about what you think could be the perfect d- human design. <laughs> yeah. And if you, let you draw us know. any,
0: please send them to us. Please send us all of your
1: perfect designed humans. Yeah. Send us that artwork. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on threads. You could also just email it to us. <laughs> and there's an email in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of That's Absurd, Please elaborate. The show was created, written, and produced by me, Trace Dominguez. And me, Julian Hugin. It was also produced and edited by the wonderful and wonderfully talented and very patient Kyle
0: Sisk. Truly. Special thanks to listeners who submitted questions featured in this episode, Lee and Xander. If you would like to submit a question, go ahead and look for the form in the show notes, or you can email it to us at hello at that'sabsurdshow.com, or go to that website, that'sabsurdshow.com slash ask. Please keep sending them in. The show just wouldn't be possible without these. So keep them coming and uh, share them with us. And we really get a big kick out of them, even if we don't use them in the show. And maybe soon for our one year anniversary trace, speaking of Valentine's Day, maybe we'll um maybe we'll just do like a lot of questions, like, yeah. like
1: all at once. Some kind of lightning round or something. Mm. Yeah, that'd be really cool. That's uh, idea. Finally, also before we let you go, a special, special thanks to those listening on Nebula. Uh we hear you, we see your questions, and thank you for telling us that you listen that way. You are awesome. Uh Nebula listeners support this show by listening over on Nebula. Uh, Uh, if you're listening now thank you so much um if you want to join nebula you can look down in the show notes for details just go to uh, nebula.tv slash that's absurd show to join and it supports the show just to listen to the show in the same place you always do oh and also remember like our producer kyle always says the groin is the mullet of our lives